Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who wishes his customers would just hurry up and leave. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, like the last time you used that, well, I suppose unlike the last time you used that intro, intro though perhaps like it, uh, and maybe we just didn't read it, I think explicitly in this film, it is meant to be commentary on the class dynamics at play. Oh, in this I, conversation, I believe it probably. I, well, it was in the last one too. Let's be very clear here. In the last I think one it too, was, and we just didn't talk like, about didn't it or think about I it really like that. Movie that was. I don't remember. That one was just so much, so jam packed with stuff. If memory yeah. serves, that like it was kind of like overwhelming to deal with. Um, whereas it this was, one's a little uh, bit more is a little bit different pace, so you can talk about the class dynamics a little bit easier. This one is obviously a commentary yeah. on the fact that these two people are sort of jabber jawing away about like the nature right, of right, like right. reality and art. Meanwhile, they're just torturing these like uh, these service industry right. workers. Like it's with no, with no regard get to the end, a mild comment about, Oh, Oh, I guess they've been waiting the whole time. It's like, yes, you're right. They have, you should have noticed. Yes. Uh, so the last time we had that conversation was uh, it was one of the movies starring DeSica, uh, the French one, where he's the aristocrat, where they keep reselling uh, the the earrings of Madame M or whatever, oh, okay. or Madame Du, the earrings of Madame, and then her name's not in the title, and we never actually learn right, the movie. Right, right. Um, yeah, see, that's yeah, the thing is like because the two of them, right. yeah, the two of them keep dancing the night away. Right, and, uh, and that, the thing about that movie is, is that the only thing I remember about that movie now is that <laughs> that image. Yeah, yeah, is those workers yeah. just like fucking like turning lights on and off, and like fucking snuffing candles, <laughs> it's, and it, like it really is wandering good. around, like doing odd jobs because they can't leave, but they all really, really, really want to leave. The fucking musicians have gone home. Not only uh, do the people start cleaning up but neither of our main characters notice right well and the, the best part about that is is that like when they when we do finally like we we see them and the movie the movie works hard to help us rec- like be in the space of those two uh our yeah. main characters because like the the waiters and waiters waiters come in and do stuff and you like for just a brief moment in my head, I'm like, oh, like they're like, this guy's annoyed, like, but like we right. don't spend any time on it, much like the characters do not, so that when it finally comes to fruition at the end, it's like, it's still kind of a surprise to the audience that like, oh shit, like we were we the audience included were assholes. <laughs> <laughs> to these people, <laughs> right, 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 right. Like we're so, Which is we're a so invited in right? by their to storytelling. Like... Yeah. Before we get much more into the movie, uh, because I, <laughs> then we already I, I, I am excited to talk about this. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about our Patreon for a second. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there, you can help keep us going and get some bonus content. Oh, yeah. Just a dollar a month. 
You get access to uh, bonus episodes that are on non-criterion films, and we let our supporters vote for what those episodes are going to be. Uh, put together a list, uh, and uh, yeah, users get to vote on them. But one choice on that list is always, no matter what the theme is, always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal. The Neal. only movie in existence uh, that fits all, uh, sort of all criteria, all categories. All categories. Yes. Yeah. The perfect. Movie. It fits in any bucket you can imagine. Uh, it is the Ur movie. <laughs> Uh, from all, from where all other movies are, like derived. all the all these, so many directors have spent so much time and energy trying to find it, and there it was all along, right in 1996, <laughs> and starring Shaq. Yep. Uh, but that's a that's a dollar a month, and we've watched a lot of really great movies over there with that too. Uh, Dog Day Afternoon, The Americanization of Emily. Uh, we've watched some not so great movies over there too. Like, uh, uh, let's think of one. Kicking and Screaming. The Will Ferrell Kicking and Screaming. Not a great movie. But yeah, all for a dollar a month. You can get access to those bonus episodes. You can vote on what they're going to be. You get access just to us. So you can suggest lists if you like. Suggest bonus episodes we should do. And usually, if a user suggests the list, we'll also invite that person on. uh, Assuming timing can work out to be on the episode. So you can buy your way onto the podcast if you want. That sounds Uh, so good. You you describe it in such a cold, (laughs) calculating way. No. It's it's not like that. That's capitalism, baby. Uh, not like that at all. It it is very much like that. Don't let Pat get you confused. I, guess. Uh, I don't know. A little above the one dollar mark, we have uh, we have our next tier up for people who want to help us a little bit, uh, but maybe themselves can't can't afford to help us too much. And we greatly appreciate them sending us this money. Five dollars uh, is that level, and we like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmeyer, our current five dollars yes, supporters. Thank you very much. A little above that, yeah, a little above that, we do something that I think is very special. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. Usually, or I get that printed up. Brain, <laughs> uh, some sort of weird brain fart and make it about a movie that like hasn't been on the on the stream yet. Oops. The episode hadn't come out yet. It yeah, happens once fine. in a while. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get that. Edit. I can't talk either. Uh, you should just give Pat up. makes a piece of art. No, no, Pat. We have to keep going. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard. Write a little thank you note and mail that off to our $10 and above supporters. Thank you so much to those folks, Jason Westhaver, Michael McGrath, Adam Speakerman, and Patrick Yako. Thank you to all our supporters, yes, thank and thank everyone. you to our listeners. Again, if you want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash lostandcriterion. If you want to check out those postcards though you can head over to redbubble.com and search for lost in criterion you can not only see the postcards you can also buy some of the older ones if you like uh if you that's, should uh, something that tickles your fancy Christmas you should cards, and people, plenty of people Christmas have cards. bought them actually they're very good pat this week we are going back to one of our favorite directors uh louis male we have seen some really great films from him uh, most recently we watched the lovers one of his earlier films um, but we've also seen Elevator to the Gallows. We've seen uh, a lot of his work after this one. Well, actually, no. Just uh, Arvar the Ivans is the only one after right. this Right, and I seen. think I we pretty much yeah. have universally liked everything we've yeah. seen. I mean, I may be speaking out of turn because my, my memory is 
bad, uh, as we've talked about. But like, I feel like everything we've seen has been we've we've liked everything Malay that we've encountered, right? Pretty much, right? Well, there was there was the uh, uh, I think Murmur of the Heart, the very first of the World War Two movies. Uh, oh, we, right. is that the we one did not about, connect like, with um, a lot? Is that the one about the uh, like how? Like sort of the uh, sort of radicalization of the person who joined. No, no, that's Le Cum Lucien, okay. and that one, that one, I think we really right. Liked. That's what I was. Murmur to of the Heart was the one about the the little boy and his mother at the sanitarium, uh, and they, uh, if I remember correctly, they have a sexual encounter together. Oh uh, right! Yeah. Oh yeah! Okay, I ba- I barely remember that one. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, so much of his other stuff we've seen and have remembered and have really liked. Well, and even uh, with that one, you could tell like what he was going for. It just wasn't a thing we wanted him to go for. So it's like, well, right, right, like sometimes right, we right, do encounter yeah. that. We're like, yeah, you did a good job on a thing that I didn't want to watch. Right, right, right. And it was our, I believe that was our first of his yeah, actually, yeah. because we started with that box set and then later we've watched Elevator to Gallows and the Lovers. Uh, and I think that's it so far. Um, but this week, it is his 1981 film, My Dinner with Andre. Uh, he was brought in pretty late to this process, actually. Uh, My Dinner with Andre started uh, life in the late 70s. Uh, it is wholly written by Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn, the, two, <laughs> the film's two stars. Uh, Gregory was a uh, play director, among other things. Wallace Shawn was an actor who wanted to be a playwright and had a fantastic fear of succeeding by his own words, basically. Uh, so, uh, but he one day met Andre and handed him an envelope with five fully written plays in it. And then Andre called him back like six months later and said, hey, we should be friends. Um, right. And, uh and they became friends, and they uh, started. Andre was Andre Gregory was working on his uh, memoirs, I suppose, and telling a lot of stories about things that had happened to him. And Wallace Shawn essentially thought, "Hey, we should make this into a stage play uh-huh. of two guys just having a conversation." And then they more or less realized that it wasn't going to work as a stage play. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The version of the script they had when Molly came on to direct, which had essentially come to existing with, uh, basically they would meet every day, you know, or every so often, Andre and Wally. Um, they would meet, and it doesn't help that both of them have two first names, does it? <laughs> Wallace no, Shawn and Andre Gregory. No, it, it's <laughs> really, anyway. yeah. Yeah, they uh, they would meet and they would go through the entire script, just having the conversation and, you know, editing what needed edited, thinking about it in different ways. You know, they'd, they'd set different uh, tasks for themselves or, or different settings. You know, we'd, they'd run through it one day as if they were prisoners in Alcatraz. Right. They'd run through it one day, you know, under different circumstances. Uh so when they brought Molly on, the script was for a three-hour movie. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. 
Yeah. Uh, and Male <laughs> talked them down uh, to two <laughs> off, hours. Off, off, that, off that ledge. Uh, talked, talked, talked Sean down, let's be clear, because he was the playwright here. Right. Uh, and uh, there's a bonus feature on the DVD that is uh, independent conversations of Andre Gregory and Wallace Sean talking to uh, Noah Baumbach. And uh, it's fun. Uh, there's some interesting stuff in it. But one of the most interesting things is Wallace Shawn saying uh, that he fought Louis Malle on on these cuts. And, and even the shooting script was a two-hour script. And the film is only an hour 40-some minutes. Right. Uh, so Malle also edited, you know, about 15 minutes out and... And Wallace Shawn says he fought him on that, and he's like, and, and he says, he says to Malay's credit, he liked me enough as an actor that I came back and worked with him again, but he didn't like me as a, as a screenwriter. Right, um, and you can see in their relationship, he does not act as screenwriter for Louis Malay again, and and Wallace Shawn is is very, you know, the interviews were done in two thousand nine. So he's looking back with 30 years gone, too, right? right. Uh, so he's also saying, you know, I had no. What standing did I have as a guy who had never written anything successful uh, to talk to Louis Malle like that? Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that that is a statement that is yeah. something to think about. But also, like, you know, you wrote it. Like, you, you have a... Yeah. Like, I get it. it, it you know, it, in hindsight, he may be, like... Yeah. He's not happy with that, but you know, I mean, like, right. you know, but, we wrote the but thing, also right? Interesting, like, you, yeah. you feel interestingly enough, Male, they didn't find Male. Male found them. Okay, he had somehow gotten the script from a mutual friend and read it and loved it and called Wallace Shawn. Oh, interesting. Uh, who thought he was joking? <laughs> thought it was a prank. <laughs> uh, Male did say that the they decide here's. They got the script part down, and they decided, all right, well, let's try and figure it out. Let's go to a restaurant and have dinner uh-huh. and run through the script. And Molly was there for that dinner. And and apparently Molly's one note at the end of that was, can we not do this over a meal? Can <laughs> Eating's bad. Don't, don't, well, don't eat while you're talking. Well, they solved that problem by just not eating. Yeah. Well, Wally does eat. Yeah, no, <laughs> but I, I, I actually, that's some but, of my favorite yes. part of it, actually. Like, it, it's fascinating because um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really kind of curious about the nature of this movie in a lot of ways because, uh, well, number one, it turns out it's pretty impeccably acted, at least by Wallace Shawn, because um, you buy into the supposition that this is just an impromptu conversation that they're having, like, right. completely. Right. Like until you told me that I did not know I assume they had a, a vague outline, but it appears that they just had a like actual shooting script, which yeah. is which is interesting. In right. And of but they, to learn. But they had they had over an hour's more material. Right, right. So right. this is this is a three hour conversation edited down to an hour and forty five minute conversation that still feels like a natural conversation. Right, which is impressive. That which itself is, really impressive. is a testament well, to the work. Well, that's a that's a testament to the especially the <laughs> editing work, right? Of like somebody being yeah. like, I can cut this here and no one will ever fucking yeah. know. 
but on top of that, one thing one thing Sean talks about in the uh, in the bonus feature is that this is also a three hour conversation made up of months and months of right, conversations right. stitched right. together. They're, they're, they're right. essentially just constantly sort of compressing and summarizing and shortening things up that like. <laughs> Right and like that that all that makes sense like that as a that as a process is is almost to be expected, whereas the fact yeah. that this is they sort of seamlessly cut out thirty minute you know an hour and change of movie without I mean like that's always a thing they can do in editing but usually like movies like that are not. <laughs> just conversations that people are having you know what i mean right, there's like right, right, other right. action sequences inside that you can use the high cuts and like changes and in, in the story but like this is just two dudes talking and i mean they did a good job of uh doing that because it feels very natural like it just yeah i will say like the thing about it is right is that um i'm i can't get a handle on this doesn't happen a lot but it does happen occasionally I can't get a handle on what each person involved thinks that this movie is about. <laughs> well, that is okay. I I will say I have uh, a deep respect for Wallace Shawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's fantastic. I agree. Uh, he is no arguments here. It is always a delight to see him. Uh, uh, I walked in the other day, uh, got home, and my roommate was watching uh, Clueless. I'd completely forgotten that Wallace Shawn plays the, oh, uh, the history teacher right. in Clueless, and yeah. he's amazing <laughs> because I mean, Wallace Shawn is just the history in classes movie. in it's Clueless just a, are just yeah. wonderfully ridiculous scenes to yes. begin with, uh, and him as the exasperated teacher uh, is wonderful. But uh, – <clears throat> I also have a deep respect for him politically. He is mm-hmm. a devout socialist um, and is not afraid for people to know that. Um, so if I rely a little too heavily on what he says the movie is about, forgive me, because I do have a respect for the man. I understand that. He portrays the film as a comedy of the absurdity of these two bourgeois Okay. So guys. Walsh Sean and I are on the same page. Good to know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I didn't read any material um, on this movie, and I was like, "This is right, what I think this right. movie is about," but I'm not sure everybody yeah. believes this is what this movie is about. Now, individually, Wallace Sean views his character, uh, because both of them do view their characters as characters. Right. They are characters based on themselves, but they are not themselves. Uh. So Wallace Shawn says that he put all of the stuff he hated about himself, all of the personality traits he wanted to excise from himself, uh-huh. that is what he put into Wally in okay. the movie. It's everything about himself he wanted to kill. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. And he views that character uh, and, you know, self diagnosing in this too he views himself in that time of his life as existing in a state of fear okay of, uh he talks about he repeatedly uses uses that phrase uh being afraid of everything um but of you know yeah the character talks about comfort 
and not wanting to let go of the comfort he has won. Right. Uh, even as he is scraping by and his wife has to get a second job to, you know, or his right. girlfriend has to get a second job to, so they can pay rent. And he's still showing up to this very expensive dinner, uh, ready to pay for it if need be. Uh, though, thankfully, it turns out it doesn't. Right. So he he views his his character as um, just afraid to act. Okay. Right. Right. Af- okay, I can and, see that. And the conversation to him is that character choosing to act, and that's the impulsive nature of taking the cab home at the end of the movie is part of that, right? Um, you know, of not worrying about the money for a second. Um, Gregory, most of what Gregory says are real anecdotes about his life. Right, and that's oh. why I, I, that is probably the primary source for me of having trouble locking down what the movie is about because right. I'm not going to lie, Gregory is almost like unbearable <laughs> like yeah andre andre as a character is pretty unbearable yes. gregory talks about uh in the in the interview he talks about i didn't write this down unfortunately so i won't quote it directly he says that he came up with sort of four different andres through the course of the movie that uh there's the andre who's the spiritualist salesman uh-huh. is one of them uh, it's the only one I can probably really remember. Um, and then in in the moment after Wally lays into him at the end with the, let me be frank about what I actually right, think right. about what you just said, uh, is, is Andre in sincerity. And he says he changes the cadence of his voice for each of these four, too, uh, though I didn't necessarily I mean, pick up on that. kind of, but, but I don't think it's as clear as maybe he imagines it is. Uh, I'm sure he can hear it a lot better than well, I mean, it is his us voice, watching guess, the movie right? Like, once, yeah. right? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so he's got. There's still that self. Yeah, I mean, my problem is, is I that guess. like it, it feels like, and I, I experienced it. Okay, so first of all, I imagined when I watched this, I, you know, again, you can't really tell that this is necessarily a scripted sequence, so that plays right. into things a little bit here. But my yeah. immediate reaction was, is that, like, I don't know how to explain this, but, like, these people are in very different places in their yeah. existence. And, like, to a certain extent, you get the, the impression throughout, like, I mean, this, I guess this is Walshon's very good acting, or maybe not, because he may just find <laughs> it this way on a personal level, but, like, is sort of just tolerating what Andre Gregory is talking about Throughout. most of the time there's a few times he, he makes a face so many times yeah, there's a few times it's where he so makes good. a really good face where you're like oh man that is a i was that is a face. i was just in love with the noises he's making yes, yes, when yeah. the camera is so uh-huh. intent on on andre's yeah. face through most of it um particularly uh i think during the christmas the christmas part of the conversation uh-huh. into the story where it goes real tight on his face when he's talking about the being buried alive on montauk right. um but uh but in the conversation with uh with uh no bomba um noah does bring up uh 
the nature of the film as like Bunelian, uh-huh. um, which is not something that Gregory rejects in that moment and talks about, you know, how, how they leaned into that sort of thing. And, and it's Gregory who talks about uh, the actor who plays the waiter and how, <laughs> how they actually had to teach him how to wait tables too. <laughs> and while they almost fired him on the first day, because this man was not an actor, actually, right. he was an Austrian uh, in the 30s, he had been an Austrian film distributor who fled to the U.S. when the Nazis came to power huh. and basically never worked outright in the film industry uh, and ended up as an archivist at MoMA is where they found him. Wow, okay. And they were looking for a guy. They were looking for a guy to play the actor, and somebody suggested, oh, I know this guy who's got a really, really eccentric look about him. A really interesting face yeah. who could play your actor. I mean, the and person was not wrong. Uh, the guy right, is right, extremely right. memorable in terms of his actual physical appearance. Yeah. Uh, and he's like giant. Yeah. Uh, with, I mean, even compared to the fact that he is standing while the other two <laughs> characters are sitting. He is a he is a tall person. Well, um, which, which actually it works in a really that whole thing actually works in a really fascinating way because it's like to put in just an enormous person that these two yeah. and the audience con- consequentially do not notice essentially yeah. at all is a fascinating thing to like prove your point about like the mo- in the movie you know like in the end it's right. like oh yeah like right somehow right. we were yeah. and you know didn't notice this person textually Textually, we do get a little into that, you know. There is a there is a point where Andre starts talking about his relationship to his doorman, right? And how, uh, you know, he calls me Mister Gregory and I call him Jiminy, and it's like it's a plantation thing, you know. And and of course, you know, every, I mean, every every other line, Andre is saying something about the fascistic fascistic nature of something or comparing someone to the Nazis, or, but, or but more, often he is comparing himself. Well, and, to, and fascinatingly enough, like that, that whole thing is really weird because, like, again, I, it, it's a character, but like, it's really hard to separate this character from the person, I guess, because it doesn't mm. feel like that's actually necessarily possible. Um, it's like he also has a deep, deep fascination with the Nazis. It, it what I would right, almost describe right. in an unhealthy way. <laughs> Where it's like, yeah. please stop talking I mean, about random Nazi like that's, people in your conversation. To the extent, to the extent that these stories are all based on at least, but mostly verbatim, actual stories that Andre Gregory was pulling together to put into a memoir. That's weird. Whether or not, right, well, that's, whether yeah, or not exactly. he is good natured and making fun of himself in making this movie. That's still weird. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, there's there's a lot of things that, like, there's a lot of things about Andre Gregory that make me very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, um, And yes. he is almost intolerable. Like, just as a, as a, and and I can't, yeah. strictly speaking, I cannot say that's just Again. a character thing. I'm sorry. Now, our, now your, your particularly experience with him is solely from the movie. Yes. So, we can we can separate that a little bit. I will say, uh, in hearing him talk for the for the interview, again, two thousand nine. He's a much older man than he was in this movie, right? Uh, but but he's he seems a little 
less of a problem in, right. in how I he mean, talks about things. I will a say little more self-effacing, a little more, yeah. I mean, even at the end of this, he when he does shift tones, he becomes more yeah. bearable. But he becomes a right. different archetype of people I don't in generally enjoy spending well, time around. Yeah, but that's the a the more very, tolerable. The one. very, the very interesting thing about this movie to me is that in their world, these guys are the opposite ends of a sliding scale. Right. But there is no point on that scale where they are a functional good person. <laughs> Where, right, right, where they're right, actually right. contributing to a to a good justice society. Well, and that's where you right. get into this thing where like <laughs> where you can kind of buy into sort of Wallace Shawn's sort of general overarching reading of it, which is like, yeah, they see themselves at opposite ends, and and we're and that's a that's nominally what it's about, but in 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 a greater sense, it is about how both of these people are essentially bougie jerks. Who right, right, aren't contributing right. anything right now to society of any value? There Not is a clear reading of this film that Wally is a stick in the mud who is afraid to act, and Andre is a dreamer who's always out in the clouds and doing everything for artistic reasons and only artistic reasons. Right. Neither of those are a political life. Right. Not not in themselves. Um, uh, and particularly I feel like Wallace Shawn in what I've heard him say about the movie is interested in the unspoken politicality and the movie itself is in how we see and even in text hear Andre talk about their relationship to working class people. Right. And I, I love, I love the waiter's little intrusions that are very realistic, but also just the fact that he's in the background polishing a spoon at one point while right, Andre right. is talking about, uh, you know, whatever, getting buried alive at Halloween or whatever. Right. Well, exactly. Um, well, and that's yeah. the thing, right? Is that like, I, I, that's what I was saying is like, I buy into Wallace Shawn's interpretation of this completely because that's what I was experiencing. Right. But I became concerned that like in the middle, I was like, Am I being like too judgmental in the, in my <laughs> right, reading of this movie? Right. Am I being am I being the jerk that I can be sometimes when we watch these movies? Well, and, and it makes me feel well, very re- happy to know that no, I think I yeah. was actually reading this movie correctly. As it turns out, at least one of the authors of this work <laughs> did have something akin to that view of the work. Right. Um, maybe not necessarily while it was being made, but certainly after it was made. Um, well, yeah, yeah, and of course we don't, we can't know contemporaneously like what the like. Right. We'll, right, ne- right, we'll right, never right. know what he was thinking. He won't even know what he was thinking actually when he was doing that. Right. Right. Like, that's impossible right. to know. Um, yeah, uh, there is a fantastic story because, <laughs> of course, the, you know the nature of the interviews are them talking about my dinner with Andre, but both of them tell stories about Wallace Shawn being recognized from my dinner with Andre, which is mind-blowing to me, of all the things someone might run up to Wallace Shawn on the street (laughs) and say, hey, I know you. The big answer is obviously Princess Bride. Why anyone would choose anything else, I don't know. But um, uh, maybe maybe you see him and you're like, oh, man, I don't want to just tell him I recognize him from Princess Bride. Like, what other movie have I seen with him in it? Right, right, right. What other... 
Oh, I yeah. know he was oh, in yeah. my dinner with Andre, but I'd never seen it or something like that. Right. Um, well, the, the one story Gregory tells, which is phenomenal, uh, and it's when he gets done talking about the waiter, actually, the guy who played the waiter. Uh, he and, uh, well, Sean were on the street together for whatever reason, and someone came up and said, hey, Wallace Sean from, from My Dinner with Andre, and just gushed about how he loved Wallace Sean and My Dinner with Andre, and how it was such a such an important movie, and beautiful, and wonderful, and Wallace Sean's like, oh, of course, you'll know my friend then, too. <clears throat> and he looked at, he looked at Andre and just blank face. <laughs> Like had no idea who he was and walked away. Gregory says he walked away. And then like a couple minutes later came running back up and said, Oh, I'm so sorry. Of course you played the waiter. I didn't recognize you. (laughs) Which again, you know, Gregory's more self-effacing in the interview than he certainly is in as, as Andre in the movie. But right. but it's still a great story, whether or not it's true. It's yeah, a great I mean, story. It, it so. is. It is. Yeah, it's a nice story, regardless. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, it, certainly. You know, in watching it, I thought, um, yeah. Well, but they're they, both just self-absorbed. Yes. Right. Yeah. Wally's I mean, fear about and his, things, his. But yeah. 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 Um. Wally's fear is a self-absorption, and his his longing to be comfortable is a self-absorption, whereas Andre is, you know, this self-absorbed. Everything's got to have artistic merit is its own sort of well, right, and like self-absorption, right. Well, know? I mean, it absolutely is, and like the thing that I was kind of like, like kind of reflecting on as we went, as I like walked away from it, is that like he's fallen a character who is fallen down that like sort of postmodernist art rabbit hole where you can like endless sort of like internally facing critique of the nature of art to the point of it like right. sort of devouring the art itself and no longer like actually making art uh and and of course there is an extent to the existence of the movie being that the two of them thought that no one no one actually talks to each other anymore in 1981 you know, so they wanted to have a film that was an actual conversation about real things too. Uh, well, and even that's if what, the guys having it were dumb, <laughs> right? And, <laughs> but, and that, and but, and I—that's kind of where I ran into. I butted up sort of heads with the movie is that um, it has that as a sort of legitimate supposition of the movie. That's not like a um, a uh, I don't know, like not like a meta commentary, but like it's like they talk about it in the movie. And it's also kind of one of the points of the movie, right? And right. and it and I that's one of those weird social refrains that just keeps repeating on a never ending cycle in history that is exhausting is the idea that at any given point in time that oh, we've hit the end of civilization because like no one nobody communicates anymore, right? Right. Like whenever right. there's a shift, right. any minor shift in the methodology of communication uh, as a sort of generational shift, everybody kind of goes into panic mode about like, well, okay, well, nobody communicates anymore. It's like, please stop doing this. Everybody just please stop doing this. Like, I read a thing. I saw this like art, newspaper article about um, how novels were going to kill, like how we should ban novel, like young women from reading novels because it was going to ruin them. And it had this sort of this like, oh, well, they don't communicate anymore vibe to it. Right, and it's right. like, 
And that was like a hundred from, from hundred and fifty yeah. years yeah. ago. It's like or a hundred like two hundred years ago. It's like this is a constant refrain and to a certain extent is is literally a a a societal control mechanism designed to prevent people from exercising communication in the methodology that they deem right. fit and like is sort of like restrain younger generations of people from doing that um and it's like it's just fascinating because it's like despite this having a meta commentary that's really interesting about like these two self-absorbed people not actually contributing to anything and just sort of being like just having this conversation that's ruining the lives of these waiters and and all this stuff it still has this actual thing in it which is also just a weird annoying trope of sort of social commentary that that is also just inaccurate and and a, a bullshit thing to say about society yeah and you know you got to balance that to these are two guys who grew up on the upper west side you know they are uh andre's certainly you know, real true to life as as rough and scrabble as Wally's existence might have been in reality andre was a man who came from money uh and and you know could afford to to travel right, all around right, europe right. as they say in the text and all around the world um but you know, Wally is still not. He is struggling because of the choice of career he has made. Not, I don't think necessarily because of uh, a lack of money in his whole life. Right. Well, but, he even talks about that right initially at the very, very beginning of the movie. Right? Is he? He says, like, you know, I was a. Uh, I forget exactly how he describes it, but I was like a sort of a prince or something. Right? Like he. Yeah, he acknowledges that like he made a choice that led him into this sort of relatively uncomfortable position. I mean, that doesn't that there's. I mean, we can we don't need to go too deep into that because like when, again, you should be able to do art and like eat. Yeah, <laughs> and like when and Gre- feed your family. When Gregory stuff. talks about in the interview, when Gregory talks about how uh, they had to teach the older guy how to serve how to be a waiter. He says, Wally and I stayed up all night doing this because we knew how to do it from eating at those restaurants. Not from working at one of them. Not from working in them. Of course not. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And they, and um, there's this thing is like, not to, not to like, I, I don't want to be unnecessarily cruel to Wallace Sean. Okay. Like I like Wallace Sean <laughs> quite a bit as well, but, there is a certain sort of thing about it where it's like if you came from money and then pursued the art, that is a different thing than trying to pursue the arts and not coming from money. No matter like how yeah. you shake that out, like it, we, we we read about these people in the Wikipedia articles quite a bit. And I don't <laughs> right, know what right. well, Sean's well, starting position in life was, but yeah. he, he's, he himself as a character at least says like that right. he was like he had a good like he describes his childhood briefly at the beginning and it, it also could be like rose colored glasses type thing as well like i'm not gonna well, say it's a guaranteed thing i think like that. i think when wallace sean says that his character wally represents everything about himself that he wanted to murder uh-huh. certainly his existence as a guy who can have a conversation like this 
so disconnected from the working class around right, him right. is part of that. I and right? and, that, and that's a very that's a very positive impulse, right? Like it's just yeah. it's just fascinating to think about because like that path is so different, right? Because if you are pursuing art full time and you came from a place that is comfortable, there's always sort of that like notion of a safety net that exists. It right. doesn't exist for somebody who doesn't come from that place, and that creates a, a a noticeable sort of difference in your perspective on art creation, right? And I, it's just fascinating because like he kind of is digging into that a little bit, but yeah, but like the movie doesn't exactly go there completely. Uh, it sort of starts, but it doesn't because it's mostly about the here and now, not the sort of path. You know what I mean? Right of, of right, that. right. And you know, they they throw out philosophers and artistic philosophers, you know, Brecht and mm-hmm. and uh Bornstrand and you know that uh, Wally references Heidecker and <laughs> close to the end of the film. Um, you know, and but it's the sort of one lining quote from those guys. Like, you know. Right, right, right. Um and and you know the the way someone talks about that if they had an upper class liberal arts education not necessarily if they've actually read it you know right, right. yeah that's sort of like well i've read the the cli- <laughs> essentially the cliff notes on that thing right right right, right. um you know as far as you know there is the the real aspect of andre's view that you know the world is an orwellian nightmare you know, and uh, he says, uh, you know, Bjorn Strand says there's no hope for it. And the Findhorn commune, the, the Scottish commune he keeps talking about is somewhere where believers, they believe there is an escape for modern life. And Wally is right to say, well, we can't. Well, OK, Wally is maybe not right to say we can't just reject all of Western civilization and go back because because it's a very a very Western chauvinist thing that he says in that moment. Well, they have quite a few sort of very Western chauvinist (laughs) parts of this conversation where they, and that's, and that's an entire other aspect of these characters in their self-absorption. Right. 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 Is Is, a cultural self-absorption. Right. Yeah, absolutely. True. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, Andre believes he can use symbols from other societies without, recognizing what they mean coming from someone in his society right like the, yeah like, like the tibetan swastika flag well and also uh, just in general just talking about well in this place they they do this thing and like it's like yeah he and he complains at one point about being well i was just a tourist in india and i was like you were a tourist in all of these places my man you were, yeah you, you were, were a tourist you were never not Poland a tourist too. Like, you were a tourist everywhere yeah which yeah. is very fascinating <laughs> you were a tourist I mean, honestly, you were a tourist in Montauk too, so right, you know, right, whatever. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, another interesting little self-effacing story that Gregory tells is that uh, they filmed this on location in a then abandoned hotel in Richmond, Virginia, which has since been renovated into a luxury hotel, but one of the oldest hotels in Virginia. Um, but it had been abandoned when they were filming in it. Uh, so they, you know, dressed it up and made it look nice. But apparently when they were shooting this film, it was freezing. And Gregory had 
extra layers on under his clothes, had an electric blanket on his lap. Jeez. Oh, uh, and was taking uh, taking shots of cognac between takes. Jeez. Um, but the electric blanket he brings up and says, you know, ironically, given the conversation about the electric blanket that happens in the in the movie, of you know, of comfort versus artistic merit. Uh, this is a man who is making the sort of the pinnacle of American art house films. Um, right. And also, also, you know, had his own electric blanket on his lap the entire time he was shooting. Right. So, uh, you know, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it is what it is, but it's also. Right, um, right, right. It's hard knowing more about Wallace Shawn's politics in general. I find it harder to get a read on Andre. And knowing what Wallace Shawn has said, particularly about this character, I find it harder to get a read on Andre since I have that text from the author in Wally's case. Well, that's the thing, right? Since they are co-authors, you run into this really serious problem of like, you never know, and this is true of any sort of collaborative effort, like, did they see it the same way? And I, right. s- and again, we'll never know. It's impossible to know. But, like, at least the feel of it is maybe not. <laughs> yeah. They gave a co-interview, I guess, to Roger Ebert, who that I haven't read, but is referenced in the uh, in the Wikipedia page. Where I guess, you know, in denying that they are playing themselves, since they are playing characters based on themselves, they do get that extra layer. They say that they would uh, remake the film and swap the characters just to prove their point that they're not playing themselves. Uh, I think that's undermined by what Wallace then says in this Noah Baumbach thing. Right. (laughs) That... That this is a character that was everything about himself that he hated. Well, that and that's uh, the thing is like that's I think where we get into a real sort of the that's where my sort of because we don't know enough about Andre's character. It's like, is this something? Are these things that he hates about himself, or are these things that he sort of nominally regrets in hindsight? Maybe because he. Like, I watched him say this. So let's say I think he is being on the level when he says it. The exact quote is, I wanted to kill that side of myself by making the film because that guy is totally motivated by fear. No, that's Wallace Shawn. That's Wallace Shawn talking about the character. Right. I'm talking about Andre Gregory's character. Oh, I'm sorry. His motivations in like the way he, like this is a character. So Wallace Shawn made a character based on himself and specifically the things that he thinks are bad about himself. Right. Which is a very right. specific motivation, which is, which right. I, what I can is... get behind. It's very, like, it's it tracks with what I see in his character on screen. It, it, like, you you say that, and it's like, yeah. oh, this all very much makes sense. It's much harder to get a, a read on uh, Andre Gregory, and what, the, the part that this is, ba- in as much as this character is based on him, how does he feel about that person that he is the part of him that he has extracted and put on screen? Um, right. 
because like and and this can just be the result of the fact that like the character of the two i find while sean's character more sympathetic they're both still unknow- like bad generally speaking but like andre gregory's character is in is essentially in no way sympathetic like to your average person right like it's just like i this person is this character right. is borderline just the one of the worst people you could imagine right and it's like okay well that's not him but like the part how much of it is based on him and how does he feel about that person is important right and wally's wally's character is not sympathetic per se no, he's i can just i it's easier to put yourself in his shoes than it is to put yourself in andre gregory's shoes i'll say this i think it's easier for you to okay. put yourself okay. in wally's shoes um I am sympathetic to Wally, certainly, but I also think there are ways in which, in our relationship, you are the Wally and I am the Andre. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm curious because I don't think you've ever flown to India for no damn reason. But I, I have not, and certainly not. I certainly don't mean that to the extent of right. Andre, but I, I can talk about a lot of things that happen in my life of spiritual significance that you would say, oh, that's just coincidence or write off. And okay, I can well, recognize that part, yeah, as coincidence I can see too. That too. I mean, I can right. see that part. I, I'm talking more in the fact that like, I, I, because I, perhaps because my brain has been almost entirely co-opted by like class politics. Uh, yeah. Like Wallace at least is a kind of person that I can like fully like understand. Uh, yeah. Like problematic. But I can understand. I basically mentally can't even comprehend a person who can just do the things that Andre Gregory describes. Right, certainly. certainly. You know what I mean? Like, it breaks my brain to think that that person, I know that that person exists. I know that there are lots of those people. On Turns Earth. out a lot of those people exist, yeah. But, like, they are not the majority of human beings walking this Earth by right, any right, stretch right, of the right. imagination. And they are... And like it is still to this day a thing I have trouble when it like comes when like comes down sort of brass tacks being like yeah that's like a kind of person huh there's just people who can like blow off for like three years or whatever and go do dumb shit and abandon their families like that's a person that's like real and you know I. I get into it in sort of the same way with, with the artistic end of things and thinking about there are really people who who do the sorts of, like, the hive or whatever that they Right, well, I, I do too, but I basically is I've made the yeah. mentally segregate that off into, like, <laughs> I don't need to think about this anymore because, like... <laughs> right, right, Like, right. whatever, like... And then, like, his sort of supposition that that, like, the character supposition, again, this is a character, nominally. Yeah. Uh, that that is like a like pure true art is a really it's, I I love it whenever you get into that kind of like that kind of uh, deep deep like uh, what is art sort of like well I mean this is art and it's like well yeah the the, the thing that no like you can experience and like Wall even digs into that which is like right even though his character is not like necessarily a role model or something even he's like well wait this is bullshit. <laughs> You have yeah. to go fly to like fucking Poland and have this singular personal art experience. Yeah, 
Well, you know, think about the improv nature of, say, Casa Vettis or of the uh, artistic commune stuff that pops up in uh, Makavejev's Sweet Movie or, or the other one, I think, maybe more than Sweet Movie. But, uh, you know, th- just this also belief that that, that pure improv impulse art is a rejection of bourgeois uh right you know of even though it is it is it it is is, in many iterations just the epitome of bourgeois right well and that and and again it's hard to know in the grand scheme of things how much the movie is is functionally aware of that uh how much individual people involved in the movie are aware of that but the idea that like yeah it's a rejection of bougie art that like oh the thing that you can only do if you're a not even a member of the bourgeoisie, but very specifically a high, like on the yeah. high end of that scale. And I don't want to say only, and I don't want to throw either of the two directors I actually named into that group necessarily, because I think they actually did create something very interesting uh, yes. in what they were doing. Obviously, Makavejev is just portraying someone doing that, not actually right, right, making right. it necessarily, but it was something he respected in what was happening there. Um, also, Mekovedjev maybe shouldn't have respected it, and we talked about that in those episodes. Right, right. Um, as interesting as he is, um, he should have been interested in other things. Right, but, right. Uh, but with Casavetis, particularly, I think about you know, the 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 improv nature of of much of his work, at least his early stuff. Well, right, but when you get and into shadows the, and right, but when you get into the like, it's still improv done for mass. At least semi-mass consumption, which is a different thing mm. than like when you For get like consumption. Yeah, like when you get into like this, it's like, like yeah. This is, well, the, this is a, you this know, is the a, nature. This of... is an escalation of that to like the the extremist form of that that idea. It's right? that like, combined with the idea of happenings, you know, right. of of the very sixties sort of right, right, art right. thing. Um, you know, of of just this experience that you're not even going to be able to talk about, you know, there, there is an extent where I respect that idea and, uh, you know, have even well attempted to right. do versions of that idea. Uh, but I do not have the money to do an interesting version of that. Well, idea, and, so. and my problem is not with that as a, as a form of personal expression. My problem with that is there is a tendency and we see this as a result of certain periods because this is also very cyclical in um, sort of history and art history. This like you see this happen in, in the 1800s, too. And, and like there's been many iterations of this this kind of thi- the, the, the 60s was not the first time this came or this right, this horse right, rode right, into right, town. Right. And um, the thing about it is there's always this sort of secondary step of it is a sort of the usage of it to sort of malign other art and to like yeah. declare this is the true art form that where it gets really problematic. But the, the thing itself is not, it's in its nature that pro- like troublesome, right. Or problematic really. Like right. if, if that gives you, if you find good beneficial personal, like artistic merit in it, doing it yourself, there's no problem. It's when you start to declare declaratively decide that this is art and that's not is where you run into where I, where I and many people find it problematic, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, this is true art. And it's like, well, okay, come on, man. Like, there's other true yeah. art in this world. 
Well, one of the interesting things um, in Gregory's real life is that they actually met uh, while Gregory was directing this really avant-garde uh, Alice in Wonderland, where uh, Wallace uh, describes it as like almost like the circus, where you oh, know okay. there were things there were things happening where people were literally gasping, screaming like it was a roller coaster, where it was just you know. There were, you know, acrobatics going on and characters, you know, actors flying all across, <laughs> okay. you know, just crazy things going on, whatever it's else. It kind of sounds terrifying, but okay. Yeah. And someone invited Sean to go see it and he didn't want to because he, he didn't consider, he says, he says, you know, I had a lot of opinions when I was 27 about what was and wasn't art. <laughs> Right, um, right, right. And he didn't consider that sort of thing to be art. And he didn't want to go see it for fear that it would influence his art or something like that. And he'd start making something he hated. <laughs> um, okay. But they did eventually get him to go see it. And he ended up seeing it three or four times before he met Gregory, the direct, who was directing it. Um, so, so there's that too, you know. Right, He right. finally did the thing and then actually liked the thing. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, you know, as Andre as a character, and it seems Gregory as a person probably went way further down that path than I hope anyone goes. Right. I mean, like uh, that, I mean, that's obvious from the fact yeah. that these anecdotes are, are, generally speaking real life at least right at like, least semi-real no matter how least. he feels about them now he definitely did do that <laughs> for sure yeah uh, yeah so anyway um i'm sure he's a real fascinating person he seems real fun uh, i mean you know, the, I, I think they probably couldn't have made this if 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 you know obviously he can't be as bad as the character and like I the character like I said the character even has a turn towards the end that like right I don't think it's well, as dramatic you know, that's as actually the thing as the, the actor himself says it is but there is a that's actually another big problem of the reading of these two of these two as extremes is that each of them learns a little from the other right in right, the third right. act and pulls you know Andre gets a little more grounded and uh, and Wally gets a little more impulsive, and you know it. In, it implies this this third way middle ground that they should both be working toward. Which again, without which is not actually where either of them needs to be. Yes, it's very fascinating. Right, right, right. right. Without without a political nature of, of the film, well, is not. And again, you know, they have those discussions, and what do we see? Uh, uh, Andre gets his pullback, and then they realize that they have become a uh, been doing a disservice to the waiter. Right. The waiter who gives a phenomenal dirty look. Oh, it's so good. To Wallace Shawn. It is it is actually <laughs> the best part of the movie. It really like, is so like good. Being very, very frank and serious. That in some to some extent, the entire experience of listening to these two sort of prattle on is worth it just so you can have so you can experience that feeling. Right. 
right, of of right. the of watching this waiter just look at you like it's so good. Yeah. It's so well done. But then I think it's also very interesting that that the closing monologue, the closing voiceover of Wally describing his cab ride home and all of his memories tied to this buildings are also memories of consumption, right? Right. This is where my dad and I bought a soup. This right. is where I had a soda after school. Uh, right. And know. so this is where you run into not a problem per se, but an interesting point is that, like, I don't think Wallace Shawn, as the writer, is trying to make you think that Wallace Shawn, the character, is a role model or a goal, obviously. Right. But, like, just like we've talked about a bajillion other times with a million other things, it's like that's a, a sort of extra textual reading you have to put into it. Like, on its surface, like, well, he learned his lesson, and now he appreciates right. all the consumption he's done in his yeah. life or whatever. Right, like, right, It's right. like, oh, right. that's not it. But like, yeah. But, like, you could stop at that point and walk away thinking that's what this movie is about. And right. I would, and then what you run into is if that's where you walk away from the movie thinking it's what it's about, you run into this problem of like, boy, why did I watch that movie? <laughs> like, yeah, right, uh, right. Which is, which is, you know, I, I mean, obviously, like, I would hope that if you are gonna see a movie like this, you can do a little extra, like, sort of reading into it. But like, hey, that's not a guarantee. Yeah, I don't know. It just it it seems to me. And maybe I'm painting with a broad brush here. Um, the people I know who have talked up this movie to me in the past have talked about it as a conversation about the nature of art. And I, and think, I that's think that's problematic. I think that's an incredibly baseline reading of this movie. It is. It absolutely is. Uh, but yeah. it's one you could do very easily. But it's, I mean, it's 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 the text, right? It it's is the text. text of the movie. You're right. It's, and that, right, and that's what I'm saying. But it's not that, even all of the text. Right. is the problem with it. What it but is. The right? problem is, is that when you're talking about an hour and forty five minute conversation, essentially as a movie, yeah. there's a you lot gotta of text. focus on the highlights, right? Right, like yeah. it's like you know, you read an entire novel, you're going to gloss over certain elements of it because right. you can't right. possibly internalize. The full text, right? And the problem is, is that as a as the writer yeah. and the director, your the go- job is to try to focus the audience's attention on the things that yeah. are like what you consider the important parts of it, right? Right. And I'm and not a hundred percent sure that the movie is actually successful at doing that here, except for the last scene. Well, I mean okay. the the, the waiter get... scene. The entire the entire last sequence from the pan out to the rest of the restaurant, right? Yeah. To him glaring at that's what that's what I meant. Wally. That's what I meant. Is yes. that like is that like um, that's the but the problem is is right. you've gone through an hour and forty minutes of that of it. So by the time you get to that, there's also the risk that like your audience has a sort of like textual reading fatigue, and so yeah. they've internalized this is about the nature of art and have I guess. missed the. Not like I'm, this is not a negative, necessarily a negative comment. I'm just saying that, like, by the time you get to that point, you're going to lose some percentage of your audience to a sort of like fatigue that results in them like maybe they know they notice that final scene. They're not going to not notice the final scene, but like they've already internalized what the movie is actually about. 
you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the same reason that like this happens in other and like sort of writing and artistic environments too, right? Where like that's the problem with like twist endings to a certain extent as well is that like no 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 i flipped it at the end and it's like you already spent an hour on this or an hour and 30 minutes on this that's what your movie is about sorry <laughs> tough luck your movie's about the thing you spent an hour and a half talking about yeah uh, yeah now mind you like you have Wallace sean's character scoffing at andre gregory's character but he's still coming from it's scoffing, but f- still from the wrong place to a certain extent, right? So it's like, because again, we talked about like neither of these characters right, are people right, you want right, to emulate, right? Right, right, right. So like, right. Th- the problem is, is you kind of, the to a certain extent, I wonder if there's no there's no way around it. There's no right answer or something like that. It's like I don't know how you make the sort of extra textual reading of it clear earlier without sort of ruining your own ending as well, right? Yeah, because you really need that waiter to just give the dirtiest fucking look in the world, and like, <laughs> and it so to nice. hit hard. Like, the benefit, the reason it works is because it hits real hard. Because you, as the audience, are like, "Oh shit, we've been bad. We've been real bad people for like an hour and forty five minutes or whatever." Like, yeah, the amount that you, as an audience, can like uh, sort of internalize that is important. Um, one of the things, yeah, and then yeah, it, it's just. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know how you get around that artistically. I don't know what I don't know that there is necessarily an answer. Just some percentage. It's well, it's it's the war movie problem, right? Like some percentage of your audience right. is going to be right. like, oh, that right. that's I learned the lesson that this movie's trying to teach me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's very interesting me to me then that you, you, me, you, me, me, uh appear to have learned the lesson that Wallace Shawn at least wanted you to learn from this movie. Right, so. but I learned it in in a way that... I learned it in a way that was fascinating to me that made me yeah. scared, which is like, do I hate these people and I shouldn't? Yes. Which is an experience I, I have in a lot of movies. This is a, right, this is a right, thing right, I go right, through right, a lot. Right. It's like, I don't like any of the people I'm watching, but like, am I supposed to like them? And as it turns out this time... <laughs> Maybe not. Pong, I was right on the nose, I think. But like, <laughs> it's always a scary experience. Like whenever we watch a movie, and I'm like, oh, I don't like uh, any of these characters, and then we're gonna like have our recording. I'm like, am I gonna like make a statement that is wildly out of sync with the rest of the universe? And everybody's gonna be like, what's yeah. wrong with you? Like, why do you hate people? It's like, well, I do, but I don't also, and like, I don't like characters a lot. I am very judgmental of characters because I feel like that's what they're their places that characters exist so i can judge them in a way i can't judge normal people yeah because like characters aren't real people are real i have to have sympathy for people i don't have to have sympathy for characters (laughs) i don't like because they're not real people it's true so remember these these are characters not real people and that's where that was the problem right is it like it's like yeah these real people am i judging real human beings for how bad they are like i don't like this (sighs) ah i feel much better now there you go I can relax. I can uh, sleep. I can sleep now. Well, this is also uh, movie one of a box set <laughs> that is. we will not finish for years. Oh. Uh, Criterion oh Collection okay. has also released a box set called Three Films, Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn. Wait, they made that more includes than this? 
It includes this. It includes Vanya on 42nd Street, which is based on a play that Gregory wrote and also is being produced in the film. So he is, it's, it's kind of recursive. Okay, uh, yeah. But that's also directed by Louis Maul. And then uh, that's number, that's spine 599. And then oh, okay. spine 762. We get Jeez. the 2014 Jonathan Dem movie, A Master Builder, based on the play The Master Builder, uh, in which uh, both Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory, Wallace Shawn stars, and, and Gregory is also uh, supporting in it. Um, we have seen Gregory once before, and I won't fault you for not realizing this, because I definitely did not know it until I just scrolled through his... Uh, his work uh he was in the last temptation of christ as john the baptist he was yeah okay. would not be able, i mean john the baptist scraggly beard uh wilderness guy you know well so essentially reasons the photo not he to... shares in the uh during this movie. <laughs> right 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 reasons not to recognize him certainly um but yeah i was i was very surprised to see that he was john the baptist because i don't know I know that Harry Dean Stanton played Paul in The Last Temptation of Christ, but for some reason in my mind, he also played John the Baptist when I think about the movie. Uh, <laughs> he, just, he just pulled like an Eddie Murphy or something and played all the characters. Yeah, he's just everybody. <laughs> everybody. Oh, man. Anyway. Um, this is a really fun movie. Uh, I, 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 now that I can watch it in good conscience, uh, I'm much yeah. happier with it. Uh, yeah. It, it, it was... I didn't dislike it when I was watching it. Let me be very clear here. Right. I just, I was uncomfortable with how I felt about what appeared to be real human beings on screen and their, <laughs> and their, and their right. ideas. Right. And right. knowing that they, they are doing a thing makes it yeah. a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they are doing a thing. Uh, what what that thing is well, may be different to, to, to different people, to different, but well, they are individuals. Doing a thing. Yes, but like at yeah. least I can feel like I'm not judging a real a real person, uh, yeah, in a, in a really harsh way. Well, next week we enter into a uh, a very long film, <laughs> um, oh, which I did yeah. not realize was quite as long as it is until yeah, uh, our, our, about two our, weeks ago. So I'm glad I'm glad I caught films. it before this moment. Yeah. Um, uh, the Human Condition is actually three three-hour films that came out between 1959 and 1961, directed by Masaki Kobayashi, uh, and all starring Tatsui Nakadai. Uh, very interested to see him again, uh, particularly because uh, one of the last times we saw him, uh, we apparently disparaged him. Uh, again, not the last time I we think, saw him. We've... I think, te- I think <laughs> in context, we were making a very specific we statement. Will... We will talk more about this next week. Definitely, I, I, we have but to defend a ourselves. recent comment. The rec- a recent comment on our website uh, took us to task for how we described Nakadai in, uh, oh goodness, what episode was it? I don't know. I I can't remember what movie it, it was. I don't. I don't internalize most of the things it was, that I say. I believe it was. Do. I believe it was Ron. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, it was a Kurosawa post. Yeah, I think it's Ron. Uh, yeah, because uh, yeah, it, that's where um that he doesn't it's not Mifine and we we yeah, comment yeah. on that. 
Yes, that is the nature of the comment. But we'll get into more about that next week when we issue what, our formal apology. Yeah, when we <laughs> issue our formal apology and I die on this hill. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, it should be interesting. It's a trilogy of films about a, uh, a Japanese pacifist and socialist as he tries to survive during World War II era Japan. Yeah, I mean, um, it sounds it sounds very interesting. It sounds I mean, very interesting three, and very long. Three-hour films, so like... Yeah. Yeah. Essentially made as a single nine-hour, 39-minute film. Um, it uh, It is broken apart into three different movies, No Greater Love, Road to Eternity, and A Soldier's Prayer, and we'll be watching all three of those over the course of the next three weeks. We are breaking it down, despite the fact that Criterion presents this as a single spine number of the entire nine-hour, 39-minute movie. Uh, Jeez, we will be, yeah, we'll be yeah. taking three episodes to talk about it, because... We actually like to be able to focus and pay attention to the things we're yeah, doing. No, I, I want to, I want to be able to give give this movie what it needs. Not, right. yeah. not we, try to we talk about to ten hours of material. We, we've talked about this before. Our format yeah. is this format needs to work for us, not the other way around. <laughs> right, right, right. So definitely looking forward to that. But this week was my dinner with Andre, directed by Louis Malle from nineteen eighty one. Uh, fun little movie as well. Definitely interesting. Definitely uh, glad I watched it. Surprised I haven't watched it before, actually. I don't know why I haven't, but no, this I, was my first experience with yeah. it. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, a great conversation pitting, pitting humanism versus spiritualism, and both of them are wrong. <laughs> right, right. That's an interesting description of this movie, yeah. What if everybody Something on like screen that. were wrong? <laughs> Except for the waiter. Yeah, yeah, except for the very annoyed waiter. Who also who doesn't really know how to wait tables. He... <laughs> or alternatively, anyway, thank you so much for listening. Off and he doesn't want to wait tables properly. There we go. There we go. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick O'Dardorgan. And we'll see you next week. in Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Hotari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com/LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.